Welcome to this podcast featuring Amir Sarfati, founder and president of Behold Israel. Behold Israel provides biblical teachings through its tours, speaking events, and social media. It's also a reliable and accurate source for developments in Israel and the region. Amir's live updates and teachings are based on God's written word. Connect with Behold Israel on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Download our free app, available on Android and Apple, under Behold Israel. Our message this morning is called The Miracle Called Israel. And the reason why I felt so strongly that I need to share this message is because over the last few months, I was exposed to the most horrific anti-Semitic content coming spewed out of the mouth of so-called born-again Christians that have literally recited Nazi propaganda in the name of Jesus to prove something that God never said in his word, but it's all in their sick mind. Now, if it was one or two, I would say, okay, But these are influential people. Some of them have hundreds of thousands of followers on social media. And I felt that probably they need a little education. And I think, by the way, it's also good for all of us to be educated and and, and to remind ourselves over and over again and again, why is it so important to understand what Israel is all about, and how it reflects to how God is looking at all of us, even here. I would start by quoting one verse from Malachi. You call him Malachi, we call him Malachi, and in between, it's Malachi. (laughs) And I would like to quote Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, before I start the message. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. I want you to remember that verse throughout the entire message. Because the Lord cannot change and will not change, Israel is not consumed. The presence and the existence of Israel speaks of the unchanging nature of God. We have to remember that because if you think that God changes mind about the nation of Israel, you're actually preaching a different God. So we're going to start um, with the message right now. Again, the miracle called Israel. And I would like to start by telling you that miracles are one of the languages of God. You all know that. He is the God of miracles. In fact, so many times to to get the attention of people, he would perform miracles. This is God. That's who he is. I think a lot of people think that this is a miracle right now. (laughs) Meeting today, no, in September, In a church, it is a miracle. And I want you to know that the story of Israel is just one long miracle. 
And the reason why it's important for me to say that is because when you understand the role of God in Israel's history, you understand it's not a man-made story, but it's a God-made nation for His purposes. And the last time I checked, He is not interested in your opinion. God never said, look, I am going to choose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants to produce or to bring forth the, the belief in one God to the whole world, to produce the Scriptures to the whole world, and to bring forth the Son of God, the Messiah, God in the flesh to the whole world. I'm not asking you permission for it. I'm going to do it. But I want to... This, this morning, I want to talk about modern-day Israel because this is the one thing that is being contested by so many people. They kind of think, oh, there's the Old Testament Israel, and then the newborn state of Israel is illegitimate. It's not of God. It's uh, satanic, and the Jews are no longer in existence, and all of that thing. So, you know, if God is the same, let's see how He, how he started back there, those miracles throughout the generations. We're going to see how he did it with people, and then we're going to see how he did it with some unbelievable actions, and then we'll come to the point of where we are today. And I hope it will open your eyes to understand that we may have a great army, but we never won a war because of our army. We may have great doctors, or we may have great... Listen this. Israel dare not take any credit for its success story in the middle of this troublesome war because it's all God. So we're going to start with Abraham, and in Genesis 17, we all understand that God said to Abraham, as far as Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her, and then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of peoples shall be from her. And then Abraham fell on his face, and what? He laughed. Can you imagine that image of God is speaking to you seriously? And he is just falling on his knees, not, thank you, Lord, but what? laughing. Well, I guess it is funny to speak to someone in that age about a newborn child, but think about it. He said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old, and shall a child be, and shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God says, that's not what I said. No, God said. Can you say that word? No. no. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes we put words in God's mouth, and then he says, no. That's not what I said. No, Abraham. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name what? Isaac. And I, the Lord, will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. 
So you're wondering why the peace deal was called the Abraham Accord? It's because that's where we stop agreeing. <laughs> In Abraham. From right after Abraham, you see who God really chose to give this land to. And it's not Ishmael. So we stop at Abraham because we all agree on Abraham. And it's interesting because then comes Isaac, and in Genesis 25, we see this is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife. If you are 40 and still single, there is hope. <laughs> Don't give up. He took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Betuel, the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister of Lavan, the Syrian... Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived another miracle. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? And so she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Which is, by the way, opposite to every tradition and every custom of those days. Another miracle. Another, the ways of God are not our ways. The thoughts of God are not our thoughts. Then we move to Jacob in Genesis 32. He arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed over the ford of Yabok. And he took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. And then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of a day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The wrestling is not about I want to kill you. What was it about? Bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob. But that's the birth of the name of Israel, that chapter. Why Israel? Yisrael means to basically struggle with God or to also Um, um, be controlled by God. And you can see why Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have what? Prevailed. Then Jacob asked saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. He wrestled with him and he, and God blessed him. And one of the sons 
the youngest, Joseph, Genesis 41. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning as you, as wise, and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Isn't that interesting? How probably Rebecca now should be reminded of what the Lord said to her about whoever in is her womb and the descendants of. Look, great Egypt, little Joseph, that is not even Egyptian, is now going to what? Rule according to to his word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you, he said, Pharaoh said. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck, and he had and he had him ride in the second chariots which he had, and they cried out before him, Bow the knees! So he set, he set him over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Tzifnat Pa'anach, and he gave him as a wife Osnat, the daughter of Potipera, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Amazing. Speaking of Egypt in Exodus 2, now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and they cried, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered what? His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Israel at that time didn't worship God. Israel at that time didn't know God. They didn't even know His name. But God remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And He looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. Then came, of course, Moses... God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, in which they were strangers, and I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with outstretched arm and with great judgment. And I will take you as my people and I will be your God. And then you shall know 
that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will bring you into the land which I, what does it say? I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and I will give it to you, not the UN, <laughs> which I call the United Nothing or unnecessary. It's not the UN, it's not the US, it's not the EU, and it's not the UU. The Lord said, I will give it to you as a heritage. Why? Because I am the Lord. Then with Joshua, we all know in Joshua 27, the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possessions of it and dwell in it, and the Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. Remember that, according to all that he has sworn to their fathers. It's all along. And then, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them, and the Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a sword failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Then, of course, came Samuel, and he was super distressed because the nation is not really following God. And the Lord said to, said to Samuel, Do not look. At his appearance, Samuel is now looking for the king that God is choosing for Israel. And the Lord said, look, Samuel, remember last time they chose Saul? <laughs> what were the criterias? He was tall and handsome. <laughs> Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made Shammah pass by, and the Lord said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? And then he said, There remains yet the youngest. And there he is, keeping the sheep. And by the way, when he said that, he must have done this. <laughs> you know, shepherds in those days were distanced from the rest of the people. Their, their testimony would not even stand in court. And so no wonder why he wouldn't even bring him before Samuel, the prophet of God. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And so he sent and brought him, and probably he was standing like this. <laughs> until the guy came. Now he was ruddy. Now, how do you say it? Ruddy? <laughs> I'm so glad that the original language was Hebrew with bright eyes and good-looking, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him. This is the one. And Samuel is like... <laughs> and Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came, what? Upon 
David. That, from that day forward, so Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Look what David in 2 Samuel said. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people, the people of Israel and be ruler over them. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king of, at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. And after David died, then Solomon, and Solomon, we all know how he started. He started pretty well, remember. Then he built the first temple, the first physical permanent house of God. And Solomon said in that wonderful ceremony, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen. The people whom what? Say that. The people whom you have chosen. A great people, too numerous by numbered or counted. Therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. Now there's also, I mean, these are characters in the Bible and you see how God was working through them. None of them was perfect. Do you want to talk about David? Do you want to talk about Solomon? Do you want to talk about all what the children of Israel went through in the desert? Do you want to talk about Moses? Do you want, I mean, let's not go there. But God also was in amazing, amazing, miraculous events, not only in the life of people, but events such as the burning bush in Exodus 3. When the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Termites, and the... <laughs> Okay, and now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptian oppressed them. Come now therefore and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And we all know the ten plagues, miraculous things that happen over there. And we all know the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. Can you imagine a whole nation, over one million people, walking in the desert and during the day there is a pillar of cloud cloud and during the night there's a pillar of fire. Does that sound like normal to you? <laughs> so I don't get it. People have no problem seeing the miraculous hand of God and the people of Israel throughout the Old Testament with unbelievable miracles, but they have a hard time seeing God in action today. Today, mm, not to mention the rapture. They don't have a problem with Enoch being gone. They don't have a problem with Elijah carried out in a chariot. But talk about the rapture of the church. That can't happen. 
parting of the Red Sea? Are you kidding me? When was the last time you stood right by the ocean and departed? <laughs> by the way, we found the location. We found a land bridge in between the Egyptian side and the Saudi side. And we followed that land bridge. We found wheels of Egyptian chariots right there. And then when we crossed it to the Saudi side, and we followed the, the, the path that described in the Bible, we reached a mountain that is completely burned in its top. And next to it stood a gigantic rock that was split in the middle. You don't believe me? Watch it on YouTube. Uh, Dr. Kim from Korea, who was the personal doctor of one of the princes in Saudi Arabia. And uh, they asked him to stay because he, he was also in the alternative medicine and he, he really helped that prince. And uh, the prince says, how can I keep you here? And the doctor said, only if you let me tour your kingdom uninterruptedly. So he gave him permission. And Dr. Kim, a very strong Bible believer, traveled in a jeep all around Saudi Arabia and he reached the mountain where it's a closed military zone. Nobody was allowed in. And he showed them the paper. <laughs> and he just drove all the way inside. And lo and behold, every single thing that the Bible says happened to the children of Israel right in front of him. No wonder why they keep it closed military zone. So I want you to know, everybody heard about the people of Israel. And throughout the journey of Israel in the desert, they were not that nice to God or to Moses. Yet, the Lord kept His word. And then, of course, the kings of all the other nations heard of that nation. They don't even know how to fight, yet they win every battle. And, and the king of Moab, Balak, decided, you know what? We need to choose a different strategy here. We can't fight them in the physical. Let's curse them in the spiritual. And he was hiring some, someone named Balaam to just put a spell and curse the people of Israel. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So return to him. And there he was, standing by his burnt offering, and as all the princes of Moab, and he took up his oracle and said, Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. And look what he said. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced from for from the top of the rocks I see him, Israel. And from the hills I behold him. There, people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my end, let my end be like his. Now, was Israel perfect? No. 
But could he curse Israel and live and be okay with that? No, he could not. Then the Jordan was parted. We all know that. And after the parting of the Jordan, the walls of Jericho fell. We know that. And by the way, the walls of Jericho were not... They did not fell from the outside inside as they should in a battle, but from the inside outside. Not to mention the fact that before that, the people of Israel were just <laughs> surrounding the city. And you can imagine what the people of Israel felt when they were surrounding the city. They're like carrying the ark and they're rocking and walking and they know there's no chance we're going to take this city. And they're looking at each other. What are we doing here? But they're walking. First day passed. Probably during dinner, they were looking at each other. This is ridiculous. We must put a stop to this one. Next day, again. And on the last day, how many times? Seven times. Forget about the fact that they did seven times the ridiculous thing they thought is one. Can you imagine how much physical strength they needed to run with that ark seven times all around? And probably by the end of the seventh one, they said, that's it! No more. And then, the walls shaking. And fell from the inside out. They look at each other. All right, we got you. You know that in the ancient calendars, there's a missing day? Ancient calendars that we found from ancient uh, uh, nations that existed in the uh, area, there's a missing day. <laughs> Why? Because in Joshua chapter 10, the Lord stopped everything for a day. Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said, in the sight of Israel, sun stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ayalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemy. Uh, excuse me, revenge upon their enemy. And, and is this not written in the book of Jeshur? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. That was a good tanning day for some people. <laughs> there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel and then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp of Gilgal. I'm trying to put myself in their shoes. The same people who saw the walls coming down and the same people. I mean, like, they don't even talk anymore about these things. <laughs> All right, that's too much. And all the nations all around are like that. What is going on here? Do you think Joshua was surprised? No. Nope. And this is why now we're coming to the birth of Israel as a, a newborn nation in 1948. And I want you to understand it's, it's the same God. And it's the same conduct. And it's the same people. 
As David Ben-Gurion, our first prime minister, read aloud Israel's declaration of independence, the state of Israel sprang into being. And those who knew Bible, they all understood the significance of the moment. And all the replacement theology teachers were like that. And all the Bible-loving teachers of the Word, they're like, wow, with tears in their eyes. Prophets as far back through biblical history as Moses had predicted that after a long and bitter exile, the Jewish people would return to the Holy Land, inhabit Jacob's ancient inheritance, rebuild the cities, and reestablish a Jewish nation. And I want to show you something. As radio broadcast of David Ben-Gurion's speech carried his words across the land of Israel and to the whole world, the people in Tel Aviv danced in the streets, but most Jews in the newly declared state had little time for rejoicing. Ben-Gurion later described his, flee, his feeling as he read the declaration, there was no joy in my heart because I was thinking of only one thing, the war we were going to have to fight. On the borders of the land, Arab armies from Transjordan, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, and Egypt, all prepared for an onslaught. The day after Israel declared statehood, seven Arab armies pounced on the new nation, vowing to push the Jews into the sea. Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Egypt, they all have peace right now. The predicament Although the United Nations had officially, in 1947, sanctioned that partition of Palestine into a Jewish state and an Arab one, the Arab nations rejected it. They still reject it, by the way. Palestinians never missed an opportunity to miss an opportunity. The British forces, who were still in control of Palestine at that time, announced that their soldiers would leave on May 15, 1948. The Jews of Palestine found themselves in a terrible predicament. What are we going to do? If the Brits are leaving, we're done. Are we going to declare statehood and have a war? Or not declare statehood and have a war? <laughs> they could not declare themselves as a nation so long as the Palestine remained under the control of the British mandate because they were not an independent and sovereign nation. International law prohibited them from, from conventional methods of arming or purchasing arms. This meant that except for through clandestine black market arrangements, the Zionists, those who believe that Israel is the place for the Jews, could not purchase any weapons. The Arab world prepare prepared for pound to pounce. The rest of the world turned away. Did you know that even 
America refused to help the Jewish people at that time. Despite their best diplomatic efforts, the secular Zionists realized that they had no one to rely upon except God alone, even if they did not believe in Him. David Ben-Gurion was the most secular Jew you could find, but he had Bible verses under his desk spread all around. Because he said, the only way I can explain what is going on right now is if I believe in these things. And there was a very grim outlook when Israel was born. The Arab nation, they were very confident that they could quickly conquer Palestine after that exodus of, of, the, of the British forces. Their soldiers were uh, very well equipped. You know what the Israeli soldiers were? Let me explain. They were kibbutz farmers, yeshiva boys, holocaust survivors, and war refugees who did not yet speak even a word in Hebrew. They came on a boat. They survived the Holocaust. They were given uniforms and a rifle. Go to fight. They don't even speak the language. Go to fight. Those who had escaped Europe had leaped from their frying pan into the fire, now destined to spill their blood in the Holy Land where the story had begun so many thousands of years ago. Amazing. And there was a miracle. The miracle is that the Arabs did not win. The miracle is that the Jews had less than two airplanes and five armored vehicles. The miracle is that the pilot had to hold the stick in one hand and throw the bomb with another. But the Bible says in Psalm 147, His delight is not in strength of the horse, not in pleasure in the legs of men. And in 1 Samuel 14, 6, For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And in Psalm 2, we know that although the nations rage and the people's plot, although they take their stand against the Lord and counsel together against His Messiah, they will not succeed. This was a quick It wasn't a quick victory for the Arabs as they had expected. Rather than wiping the Jews from the map as they had vowed to do, the Arab armies failed to dislodge the Jews from Palestine. And that tiny new nation repulsed the invaders and by the end of the war even expanded the borders in at least 20 to 30 percent. And you tell me it's not the hand of God? You know that in Hebrew we call that war the War of Independence? The Arabs call it Nakba, the catastrophe. Up until today, they do that. 1973, horrible war on Yom Kippur. You probably know that that day, Jewish people, this is the only day all Jewish people, even if they're not religious, they all respect that day. And they all sit in their homes, and they're not eating, and they're not drinking. And many of them go to the synagogue, probably the only time of the year they go to the synagogue. That was a day, October 6, 1973, there was a surprise attack from the side of Syria and Egypt. Even though Jordan warned us 
it's coming. We did not believe them. And I want you to know that the Day of Atonement, that was when 100,000 Egyptians invaded Israel from the south, and over 1,400 Syrian tanks invaded Israel from the north. Like a swarm of locusts from the south. You know, there was a point where one is, three Israeli tanks faced 150 Syrian tanks. And they were almost running out of ammo. And the commander said to them, stay there and coordinate between you how every time one tank goes up, fires and goes down. Then another goes up, fires go down. And the third one goes up, fires. They need to think you are many. By the time they ran out of ammo completely, the Syrians turned around and left. 150 tanks left because they thought the three tanks are too many. There was a whole story of a platoon that found itself in a minefield. They didn't know what to do. Daybreak will expose them. And then, out of nowhere, a strong gust of wind came. And they had to stoop down. They had to take cover almost. And that wind lasted for almost 20 to 30 minutes strong. Middle of the night. Winds don't happen like that. Certainly not over there. And when it, the wind was over, all the landmines were exposed. And they just walked between them. And when daybreak came, boom, they were gone. Israel in Yom Kippur was nearly defenseless. Not only was Israel caught completely off guard and outnumbered, the vast majority of her soldiers were where? At their weakness, weakest, because they were all fasting for the last 24 hours. The second day of the war, Golda Meir picks up the phone and calls Richard Nixon and says, Mr. President, if America is not going to help Israel in the next 48 hours, Israel will not remain standing. President Nixon paused. Well, it's 3 a.m. after all. And he said, Golda, I want you to know something. When I was a child, my mom used to read to me Bible stories every night. He was a Quaker, by the way. And he said one time she got to a place where God fought for Israel and saved Israel. And she told me, Richard, I want you to promise me that if you ever have a chance to save the Jewish people, you must do so. And then she moved on to read the rest of the Bible story. And then he said, Golda, for the first time I know why I became President of the United States of America. He hung up the phone, he called the Pentagon, and they ordered the largest, the largest airlift of armament since World War II. Amazing story. One of the stories, the Valley of Tears, I'll let you um, read about it. We're running out of time. Another amazing story, 1991, Saddam Hussein 
is launching 39 missiles. During that Gulf War in 91, Iraq threatened to use chemical weapons on Israel, a country which was not actively participating in the conflict. We were not even there. America is there. The coalition is there. Israel was not even allowed to be there. President George Bush, the father, sent national security advisor to Israel to shadow Prime Minister Shamir everywhere he goes, so he will not join the war. Because we were attacked, but America wanted us not to retaliate. So we will not become Arabs against the Jews. However, whenever that chemical attack never occurred. Why? Strangely enough, <laughs> you listen to this, wind patterns change from the normal directions to blow east from Israel, going directly towards Iraq. And the Iraqis realize if we are now sending chemical attack, it will just come back on us. The U.S. military theorized that the odd weather changes likely uh, weather changes likely served as the major cause for Iraq's decision not to employ chemical warfare, since the wind would have caused any gas attacks on Israel to harm Iraq as well. 39 Scud missiles. Hmm. Unbelievable. Not even a single Israeli died. And it is all sent to the most populated area in Israel. 2014... Look what the Hamas said. Let's move one forward. And I want you to see this headline from the newspaper. Israel miracle, Gaza Strip Hamas complain. Their God changes the path of our rockets in midair. <laughs> they complain? In 2015, during the summer, it was discovered that Hamas had been using supplies given by Israel for civil projects to build tunnels that would enable them to transport weapons and invade Israel. In the weeks before July 17, 2015, Hamas terrorists scouted out the area which one of their tunnels would potentially end near the farming village of Sufa. It was perfect. At the time, this was a populated area of farmers concealed by tall wheat. Israel wouldn't stand a chance. However, the terrorists didn't count on the apparent power of faith. According to Jewish customs, there is a biblical mandate that requires farmers to harvest before taking a sabbatical year in which it is forbidden to harvest in Israel. And on July 17th, terrorists exited their completed tunnel only to find an empty open land. And this attempted attack happened to occur just after the sabbatical year had begun. And so, the religious farmers were no longer harvesting. So here they are exposed and there is no one to kill.
Without the tall wheat for cover, the terrorists were quickly spotted and intercepted by the Israeli defense. But that was supposed to be a massacre that was averted. And I want you to know that even in the U.S. politics, a lot of people don't like Israel. President Truman in 1948 had to face the greatest opposition of all for his intention to recognize Israel as a state. I don't think I have the time to read to you his memoirs, but he was fooled. He was misled, and he found out what is going on, and he surprised his own team. And uh, I want to read to you only the last story. While conceding that there was no legal bar to recognition, Lovest nevertheless requested that it would, would, uh, would be withheld for another day for more to allow the Department of State time to study the text of the proclamation and inform both its UN delegation and the British, French, and Belgian governments with, with, uh, with which it had been uh, collaborating in a bid for a new truce resolution. Even at this late stage, Lovett did not lose hope. At 5.30, about an hour before Britain's Palestine mandate expired, he called Clifford to ask again for an extension. We all know, ladies and gentlemen, when 6.11 p.m., White House spokesman Charlie Ross announced the president's de facto recognition of the state of Israel, the U.S. delegation to the U.N. was dumbfounded. The White House was saying something that the U.S. delegation in the U.N. did not know and did not see coming. Why? Because he found out they're bluffing him. When I use the word pandemonium, I think I am not exaggerating this memoir uh, uh, writer, Rusk, would recall. I was later told that one of our U.S. mission staff men literally sat on the lap of the Cuban delegate to keep him from going to the podium to withdraw Cuba from the United Nations. <laughs> In any event, about 6.15, I got a call from Secretary Marshall who said, Rusk, Get up to New York and prevent the U.S. delegation from resigning en masse. Ladies and gentlemen, America supported Israel because of a resolution and a resolve of the president only. Was modern Israel established illegally? No, God made it clear. I am bringing you back and he also prepared everything to be legal. Take a look at this declaration that was given by the British government to the Zionist, uh, uh, um, <clears throat> the Zionist um, Congress. Dear Lord Rothschild, I have much pleasure in conveying to you on behalf of His Majesty's government the following declaration of sympathy with Jewish Zionist aspiration which has been submitted to and approved by the cabinet. His Majesty government view with favor the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people and will use their best endeavors to facilitate the achievement of this 
object. In being clear with understood that nothing shall be done which may prejudice the civil and religious rights of existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine or the rights of political status enjoyed by Jews in any other country. Then came the San Remo conference in 1920 and confirmed that the Balfour Declaration is the legal ground for everything that is going to happen in the Middle East. December 1922, Britain received the mandate for Palestine, as you can see. The mandate basically was, you should make sure that Palestine will turn into the homeland of the Jewish people. Do you think they did that? No. Take a look at how Israel looked like when we first came. The pioneers first came uh, in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Look, nothing was growing there. When Mark Twain came, he said, not even cactuses that are the best friends of desert, they did not even want to grow there. He says, I couldn't even see one living soul in my entire journey. The Bible says in Ezekiel 36, I speak to you, O mountains of Israel, shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit for my people Israel, for they are about to come. And in preparation to the mass return of the Jewish people, God spoke fertility to this dead land, and look at what this dead land turned into. And then in Ezekiel 37, the Lord brings Ezekiel to see a valley full of dry bones. And Ezekiel is perplexed. What is this? It's horrible. Because these are dry bones. They look dead, but they're alive and they can speak. And they are so, they're so um, depressed. And they say, our bones are dry. Our hope is lost. And we ourselves have been cut off. They thought God forgot about them. He says, no. Ezekiel, tell them, you are my people, Israel. Don't lose hope. I will bring you out of this graveyard of Europe. And I think I'm looking, I was thinking, who could have been the dry bones? And look at this picture that was taken um, by the soldiers who liberated those death camps in Europe. I mean, they literally found people with just bones and skin, and there was no hope in their eyes. And the Lord said, it's time. I'm going to round you from all around. And look at what the Lord has done. He brought them from in the air uh, on ships. Walked, I mean, these Ethiopians on top, they walked for five, six days in the desert to Sudan where the Mossad facilitated a landing area for 747s that were gutted from all of their seats so we can cram a thousand people in them. And when we landed, there were a thousand and one because a baby was born. <laughs> this is not the act of man. This is the act of God against all odds. And when the Arabs established the PLO in 1964, Israel didn't have the West Bank. Israel didn't have the Golan Heights. Israel didn't have the Gaza. And look, their Palestine Liberation Organization had nothing to do with the West Bank, Gaza, or the Golan. It has to do with the entire land of Israel. Look at the map. Look at their intention. 
Foolishly, Israel pulled out of Gaza in 2005. 8,500 people evacuated. And look at how even the soldiers who came to evacuate their people cried with them. I want to tell you something, folks. The Arabs already had an understanding that the Jews are the real owners. I don't know if you know that, but in 1918, the Sharif of Mecca, Hussein, wrote in his newspaper this, the resources of the country are still virgin soil and will be developed by the Jewish immigrants. One of the most amazing things until recent times was that the Palestinian used to leave his country, wandering over at high seas in every direction, his native soil could not retain a hold of him. At the same time, we have seen the Jews from foreign countries streaming to Palestine from Russia, Germany, Austria, Spain, and America. The cause of causes could not escape those who had gifted deeper insight. They knew that the country was for its what? Original sons. For all their differences, a sacred and beloved homeland. The return of these exiles to their homeland will prove materially and spiritually an experimental school for their brethren who are with them in the fields, factories, trades, and things connected to the land. They almost signed a peace deal. Look at the Chaim Weizmann, the first uh, president of Israel, and uh, the Emir Faisal, son of the Sharif of Mecca. In 1918, they were about to sign a peace. And within the framework of that peace, ladies and gentlemen, they basically said the, that the, 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 um, Israel belonged to the Jews. They said that. But we ask that the Jews will have the Arabs develop their land. Where? All around. Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, Egypt. This is the Arab land. The Jews have theirs. The boundaries between an Arab state and Palestine should be determined by a commission after the Paris conference. I want you to see that the peace deal, look, was signed. Peace deal that the Arabs said, this land is yours. And they signed. Chaim Weizmann signed below, but look at what the Arab guy did. <laughs> he wrote, I'm willing to sign, but only if the British mandate and the British government will honor this. And guess what happened? Who failed this peace between Arabs and Jews? The British. Because that would mean that they no longer control that part of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, look at this map of Palestine before 1917. Take a look at this. This was Palestine. Israel and Jordan was Palestine. And in 1922, July 24, the Brits cut two-thirds of Palestine and gave it only to Arabs, as you can see. Move on and see how they cut it. And they call that part beyond the Jordan, Transjordan. And what does it say below it? Arab Palestine. Which means the other side should be what? Jewish Palestine. Guess what? They don't accept it until today. They want the Jewish Palestine to be Arab as well. 
And that's how it looked at the very end. Take a look. Half and half. And then came 1937, the Peel Commission, and look how they shrunk the Jewish state to only the, the Peel Commission move on. The Jewish state is the light blue. <laughs> the Arab is the orange. Let's move to the 1947 partition plan. The Jews don't get anything from Upper Galilee or from Judea, Samaria, or Jerusalem. We said yes, they said no. Let's move to the 1949. After the war was over, look how much we took. And then we move on to the Trump peace plan that was <laughs> last year. I don't understand those Christians that say that Trump will divide Israel. They must be out of their mind. President Trump is the best thing that ever happened to Israel. Two slides, please. Move two slides. Let me show you what he did. Yes. Look what he did. Smart. Genius. I would imitate him, but I don't want to do it right now. Watch this. With my hand. Watch this. Okay. I'm offering two states. But for the Arabs to get their state, look what they are required. Recognition of Israel as a Jewish state in the new borders. Giving up demand of Palestinian capital in Jerusalem, old city. Demilitarizing Gaza. Disarming Hamas. Giving up rights of return. Halt all payment to terrorist families. Basically what he said, you ain't going to get any state. Because <laughs> this is against your DNA. This is everything you do. This is who you are. You want people to come and take the land of Israel. You want Jerusalem as your capital. You pay money to terrorist families. You encourage them to be terrorists. You are actually having a whole army in Gaza called Hamas. This is what he said. And he said, look, I'm giving you four years to think about it. Take your time. But in the meantime, I want you to know that we're not going to take our time in getting the Arabs to sign peace with Israel. And I want you to know Trump cannot be the Antichrist because we're still here. <laughs> and he cannot be the Antichrist because the peace deal is not for seven years. And he cannot be the Antichrist because there is no temple in Jerusalem and the Antichrist will allow them to build a temple and then halfway through will stop the sacrificial ceremonies there. So according to Daniel 9.27, all the requirements is definitely not this. There can be no peace. Look. Trump can try, everybody can try, there can be no peace in the Middle East until the Prince of Peace will return. And how can the enemy bring an end to that miracle? How can he? By trying to kill us, they tried, and by trying to deny that we are Israel. And they're doing that. Some people think that the rebellious behavior of Israel, even today, has caused God to abandon them forever. But we all remember throughout all the history, from the very beginning, it was made clear in the Bible that Israel is not perfect. In fact, in Ezekiel 36, when the Lord said that He is going to bring us back, look what He says, I will take you from among the nations, I will gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land, He says. First, I'm going to do the physical restoration. And what is the next word? Then. Can you say the word then? Yeah. 
which means after. First comes the physical, then comes the spiritual. You don't expect Israel to believe, not yet. They will believe. You know when? When they look at him whom they pierced. When Jesus will return, as we sang, and his feet will stand on Mount of Olives, and they see him, and they will mourn, and they will cry, and they will repent. That will happen, unfortunately, after the tribulation. And that brings me back to Malachi chapter 3 as we conclude. Malachi 3, I want you to see, as he says, Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, In what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, he said. And then look at what we see in the um, book of Hosea, chapter 5. Hosea chapter 5. And look what he says. Hosea chapter 5, in verse 15. I will return again to my place. Jesus came and then returned back to his place until they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. Tribulation is going to be a horrible time for Israel. But the Bible says this is the trouble of Jacob, and he shall be delivered from it. And I want you to know, God is not done with Israel. Israel is a miracle, and Israel is a picture of God's faithfulness, and Israel is your insurance policy that God is faithful to his covenants. And if you do not follow him today, time is short. I want to tell you something, the rapture can take take place any minute. And I want you to know that today, today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Don't push it. Israel is a picture of God's faithfulness. God wants to get your attention. He's using his nation over there to tell you, I love you in the same way I love Israel. Now you are my people. You who were once not my people are now my people. And I called you also from bondage to the freedom that we have in Christ, from darkness into his marvelous light. But you cannot find that light unless you believe and put your faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross who came to die for you. He's the king of Israel. He will come to save Israel, but he came 2,000 years to save you. You're the Gentiles. You are now brought forth close to God only if you accept him. The time of the Gentiles will come to an end and then Israel is going to be saved. You do not want to stay out and see the door slammed.
have oil in your lamps and be ready for the bridegroom when he is coming at an hour you don't know. Father, we thank you for the miracle that is called Israel. We thank you that you have shown again and again your amazing faithfulness. Even though they were not walking with you, you chose always to remember your promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Father, we thank you for what you did with them, doing with them, and mostly for what you will be doing. We pray for the salvation of the Jewish people. We pray for the salvation of the nation of Israel. No one can come to the Father but through Christ. He is the door. He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. No one can come to you but through Him. And we pray, Father, that many will discover Him, believe in Him before the tribulation, so they will be spared. But yet we thank you that you still have a plan. You have a plan. And at the end, all Israel will be saved. And Father, we thank you that we live in these days, the days of Ezekiel. We live in the days of prophecy being fulfilled. And to whom much is given, we know that much is required from. We ask that you will help us to live holy life before you now. Remind us of the hope of our salvation and the blessed hope of your soon return to take your bride to be with you. We thank you and we bless you in the name of the Holy One of Israel, the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb of God, Emmanuel. In His name we pray and all of God's people say, Thanks for listening to this podcast featuring Amir Sarfati, founder and president of Behold Israel. Connect with Behold Israel on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Download our free app available on Android and Apple under Behold Israel. Amir's teachings can be found in multiple languages. You can also visit our website, beholdisrael.org.